This is Think Smart with TMFG, your weekly podcast of what's newsworthy and relevant to everyday Canadians. With your host, Senior Financial Advisor Rob McClelland and Mike Conan of Asante Capital Management. Today on Think Smart with TMFG, Mike and I are going to be discussing 2023. Mike, that was quite a year. Yeah, I can't remember if last year we did predictions on 2023, but I don't think we would have got many of them right, would we? We certainly didn't. There was a, there was really a tremendous amount going on in the world, and and most of it was was really bad news. And so today, what I thought we would do is just review some of those events and what the impact was. So I'm going to start with the first one, and this started very early in the year, and it's almost like you know by the by December we had forgotten about it, but. It was a really rough year for the U.S. banking industry. We had, in the spring, we had the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and First Republic. That was really the first shakeup we've had since 2008, isn't it? SVB going down. And, you know, the big fear going across everyone is, are we going into 2008 again? So everyone started to worry about the U.S. banking system. The biggest culprit on this was, you know, what we call the war on inflation, which was rising interest rates. And it slashed the value of those assets held by the banks. And they accumulated $685 billion worth of losses in in those institutions. It was huge. Meanwhile, the bond rating firms looked at it and said, well, that's not good. And so they downgraded a lot of those banks. I think what happened with that... With the positive years we had before with the banks, they got lazy and they weren't matching their assets and liabilities very well. And they weren't keeping track of which liabilities can, uh, which assets can leave very quickly and which liabilities aren't stable. And if you don't match them well and things start to change around, you got an issue. It's exactly what they did. They started, interest rates were so low, they started looking for ways to boost the return and took more risks. And, and banks are there to be banks. Right, They're, they have they have a role to play. Like even in a simple game of Monopoly, they have a role to play. And now it wasn't bad for everybody. J.P. Morgan, because they were the bank that survived and looked really good, suddenly fifty billion dollars of money began to show up at uh, at their door, and they had their highest annual profit in the history of American banking. So it was a horrible news for all these small guys. Really good news for one of the biggest banks in the U.S., if not the biggest. And we saw Credit Suisse were under the same type of situation overseas, too. So, And again, what's uh, someone's problem can be someone else's opportunity. Second one up was what we call the end of SPACs, S-P-A-C-S. And so what SPACs are, are basically there was this new idea that, you know, Wall Street created once again. Wall Street gets all excited about these things. And what they were going to do is they were going to create a company in advance and gather a whole bunch of money. And then they're going to go out and buy companies that they thought were good value. Um, At the end of the day, it ended up in huge bankruptcies and bigger losses for shareholders. And at least 21 firms that were bought out by these so-called great new investments went bankrupt by the end of the year. I won't miss them (laughs) at all. They they were a bit of a scary thing. No one 
no one had a full understanding because you didn't know quite ahead of time what you're going to be buying into and you couldn't see no numbers you know we like numbers because that's evidence of how things have been doing anything like this is hard to invest with it's a full speculation and it it makes us nervous the next up was the big push into electric vehicles now this has been going on we've talked about it in a quite a few podcasts but I think the biggest news that caught everyone by surprise was what's going on in China. And the company BYD company is now the largest electric vehicle brand in the world. They've surpassed Tesla. They're making a huge move. Uh, obviously, they've got a great market to do it in. Tesla has had its issues, but there's still the concerns that remain for everybody out there. Are there enough chargers in the world? What do you think, Mike? Are there enough chargers? Well, I always get cons concerned with uh, condominiums. It, you know, when they start to look at it's fine if, if four people have electric uh, cars in your condominium, but if you start taking a condominium with, uh, let's say, 400 apartments and everyone's going to charge the car at the same time, the problem is the distribution of charging is, is not throughout the day. Everyone drives their cars during the day and charges them at night, so it puts a tremendous stress on the electrical grid. They'll find a way around it, they always do, but it means that uh, sometimes the government get a little bit, let's say, overconfident in how fast they can move this whole electrical vehicle thing into everyone's home. It's interesting, I was thinking even a little more about it, and I realized that electric vehicles are, are a better fit for those who have than those who don't have. And, and the reason is simple, is A, they're reasonably expensive, B, if you have to put a charger in, that's gonna cost some additional money, and they're much better if you have a house to put those chargers in than a condo. So they tend to be sold to those who have as opposed to those who have not. Eventually that will fix itself, but not yet. Still on China, things are rough in the real estate market in China. You've got a ton of local debt that was taken on when we had, in the early 2000s, we had this huge boom going on building homes, apartment complexes, and entire cities at an extremely fast rate. You, you should never ignore demographic realities. And it appears in China people were doing that for a period of time. And demographic realities always, there's been great books on it before, Boom Bust Echo, The Pig and the Python, all these different things based on how economies work in regards to demographics. And China many years ago, limited their families to one child per family. And again, that's beginning to really have an effect because they have an aging demographic in China. And it's, it's not good. So we saw two of the major property players in China, Evergrande and Country Garden, are suffering year-over-year -year losses due to borrowing. Local governments have as much as $11 trillion in, in debt. So again... Let's stay on the real estate front. What was supposed to happen in 2023 in real estate, Mike? Well, they had uh, downturns from COVID. I mean, we, we weren't too sure what was going to go on, but we thought there'd be some type of rebound. People would be coming back to work and offices would get full again and there'd be no issues anymore. But it appears that isn't uh, the case, is it? Well, there's still a... You know, there's still a vacancy rate around 20% in the U.S. In, in office vacancies. So they're at least 80% full. But we certainly haven't seen the crisis that happened in 2008 when real estate really went through a bad crash. Now, it may happen later. We don't know that. 
I think housing prices around, you've seen about a five, 6% correction in housing prices. The inventories have went down. The sales number I find are drastically lower. When I look at uh, the sales figures, they're down by about 60%, but the average house price is only down around the 5% range. So, it, you know, it hasn't affected the price as much. It might be that people were not willing to accept the uh, changes in uh, prices as quickly as they had until interest rates forced them to. Next, we'll move on to global warming. It seemed to really pick up in 2023. It, the world experienced some of the hottest 12 months on record, and, and China has connected more new coal plants, coal plants than ever before. U.S. oil production hit its highest level ever in the history of the world. Next up, there was supposed to be a recession. Almost every single economist in the world was predicting a recession in 2023 in the US. Yeah, we, we, it's funny, in Canada we flirted with this recession all year. It depends on who you talk to. They keep on talking about those two negative quarters. A couple of times we had two negative quarters and they said, no, it wasn't robust enough to signal it's a recession. So it's, they've uh, messed with the def definitions of recession so much over the last year. But either way, this was, uh, whether we saw a recession or not, it was pretty minute and it was a really soft landing, more than we would have thought. I thought it was interesting. I was reading an article the other day that talked about, well, you know, the economists are actually analyzing why they got it so wrong. And, you know, they're blaming it on, well, maybe the data was bad because we included COVID. Maybe we didn't understand the impact of COVID. Maybe we should have used longer term data, whatever it was. At the end of the day, even economists can't predict what's going to happen in the next 12 months. Mike, what about the tale of the two Sams? What was that all about? Uh, so you had uh, Sam Altman, who was uh, the head of OpenAI, and mysteriously he got a phenomenal person that all his employees loved, but mysteriously his board uh, fired him. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, about the next, uh, probably about a half an hour later, he got called from uh, Microsoft that uh, quite was quite willing to give him a job over there. And through all the controversy and everything and all the staff getting behind him, uh, he ended up uh, back at OpenAI again. On the other side, the other Sam that everyone talked about was Sam Bankman-Fried. And he was convicted in New York federal court of one of the biggest financial frauds in American history for his conduct in running his crypto exchange. So the two Sam Sams, one had a rough year but recovered. The other is in jail now. You know, crypto and fraud always seem to come in the same sentence. It does. It too, does. Uh, too, much, too much. Next up is rising interest rates. The U.S., and the reason we talk about the U.S. is because when the U.S. talks, the world listens. It seems to dictate how the markets work, how the economy works, and everything else. So in 2022, the U.S. raised interest rates seven times, and they continued to raise them four additional times in 2023. Are we at the peak yet? You know what's funny? If you look at the end of last year, a lot of us are talking about interest rates starting to come down uh, over this year. You know, they'd go up and they come down. Interesting thing is the government never said that. It was all the economists were planning on sometime this year uh, that interest rates would start to fall. All the people that were speaking were discussing that. The government never said any such thing. And the government has yet to talk about lowering interest rates. They've said they may stop raising them, but they haven't really stated uh, anything about lowering them yet. So we've covered a few of the highlights. We had the continued war in the Ukraine with Russia. We had a new war between Israel 
and Palestine and Hamas. We saw WeWork file for bankruptcy protection, Chapter 11. We saw Bath, Bed and Beyond disappear as another large successful chain that goes bankrupt. And on the Gulf side, we had the PGA and the Saudi-backed LIV or LIVE talk about a surprise merger, although that appears to be falling off the rails very quickly. It was a crazy year. Uh, the headline I saw was Women Ran the World. Beyonce's concert tour wrapped up with 60 shows and made $570 million. Taylor Swift had an amazing year. And of course, Barbie made a comeback. So lots of bad things happen in 2023. And yet, Mike, what happened to the markets? Well, you'd think the stock markets would be desolate to talk about right now, but the case isn't that. U.S. stocks rose about 26.4%, including dividend, uh, biggest rally in the U.S. markets had since uh, 2019. Technology stocks uh, posted a huge year, surging 59.1%, best performance since 2009, along with uh, uh, NVIDIA chips uh, leading the way, and they jumped by 128%. When we look at it in Canadian dollars, the Canadian stock market was up 12%. U.S. market a little less than the 26 at only 24 because the Canadian dollar was strong. Europe, Asia, and the Far East up 16% putting the whole world together up 21%. Even bonds, one to five year bonds up just under 5%. And real estate made a nice recovery at the, uh, in the last couple of quarters and I was finished the year up 7%. Those are really good results in a really bad year. Mike, what's the lesson for our clients? Don't try to guess the markets. Number one, don't try and guess the markets. Number two, the markets and the economy are often completely disconnected. More often than not, they are completely disconnected. So what you think is going on in the economy has no impact on what's going to happen to the markets. And that's the one that almost everyone I talk to gets wrong. Well, it's funny. In our practice, some people always wonder why we're always preaching to get money in the markets. And we always, every time we say, you know, I put, pressure on people when there's money to sit and do nothing i'm always pressuring them to say you know you need to get this money working for you and this is a great example i've had a few clients this year that finally gave in and got the money working for them and they're all calling to thank you at the end of the year because they've seen a great result from that also we had people that were a bit you know afraid going into 2023 and we had decent options available in cash accounts and uh the trick is to get that money from those cash accounts it's a nice safe haven but the markets work better than anything else. Get that money into the markets and get it making money for you. If we look back, cash, you know, probably finished close to 5%. There were some GICs out there at 6%. And yet I would be surprised if we have a client under 7.5% return. Most of them are somewhere between 75 and 12% return for the year. Yeah. If you look at GICs, this was the best year GIC this have had in probably... 30 years. I'm just guessing that off the top of my head, but it's probably the best returns they've had. And they're still 80% lower than the S&P 500. That brings us to the end of another week. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob and Mike with Think Smart from the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management, reminding you to live the life that makes you happy.
You've been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.